0: Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do, I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. I want to welcome Reach Church DeSoto joining us live this morning and the venue service down the hall and also all of those of you who are worshiping online with us today. We're grateful that you're joining us and we pray that you feel very much a part of our worship service this morning. Genesis 37. We, we've arrived at the, the final section of the book of Genesis and uh, a section that really from here on out will focus on Joseph, this 11th son of Jacob, the favorite uh, son of Jacob, this son of his old age. And And the story of Joseph, while Jacob is my favorite character in Genesis, the the story of Joseph is one of the most dramatic stories, the most dramatic narratives in all of God's Word. And this section of Genesis is remarkably significant in a number of different ways. But before we even dive into it, I think... Um, there's some of these broader themes that we need to be aware of, we need to be alerted to before we even get into them because these are themes that are gonna be redundant. God's gonna teach us these things over and over again. Don't you love this about God? Oftentimes the, the central themes of the Bible will be just repeated over and over again because God knows that we need to be remind, reminded. These things need to be pounded into our heads and our minds. So I just wanna, want us to consider these broader themes as a means of intro and then we'll, we'll look at this chapter together. But two things, two significant uh, themes that we need to know here. One is that Joseph's life demonstrates God's sovereign control over the whole of human history. Joseph's life demonstrates God's sovereign control over the whole of human history. What we'll see in Joseph's life is that all the circumstances, all the the strange twists and turns that we're going to see are perfectly ordained by the hand of God for the redemption of his people and for his own glory. Even the evil intentions of his brothers, the evil intentions of others, all of these things, he will come to see God's hand perfectly fulfilling his plan and his purposes. And and I thought this was so fitting, you know, we don't time these things out, we just begin the book of Genesis, but God's timing is perfect. This is a truth I think today we need to be reminded of. In a world where there is chaos all around us and all kinds of chaotic events occurring in our world, we need to be reminded that God is sovereign. Over history, And even the evil intentions of man cannot thwart, cannot stop God's perfect purposes from coming to fruition. And so this narrative and our study for the weeks to come, I pray it will grow our confidence in God's sovereign control over history. That, that man may resist him, but God will have his way. That God has not abdicated his throne in heaven. He's fulfilling his purposes even as we face turmoil. Even in the midst of viruses that run rampant. God is in control. And that's kind of the larger, the higher significance of what we're going to see in these final chapters. But more specifically and probably more personally, not only are we seeing God fulfilling his plan. But we're seeing God mold his man. And the idea is that, that God, while he's sovereign over all of history, he's also sovereign over Joseph's life. And he's sovereign over your life. That he's the God of the universe, but he's also Lord and King over the lives of his children. So we're going to see, you know, we, we, you, you've sung that song. He's got, he's got the whole world in his hands. And that is true. He's got the whole world in his hands. But what we also see in this is he's got you in his hands. He's got me in his hands and he's working everything out perfectly. So those are the two broader themes. We're going to just see them over and over again. And I thought before we even get in here, just alert you to these things that we'll see. Uh, Let's read this chapter. There's, There's great benefit in just reading all of this together. There's a lot of verses here, but I think we need to see it all together. Genesis 37, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. And these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms." Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, "'Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and, lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf.' And then his brothers said to him, "'Are you actually going to, to reign over us, or are you really going to rule over us?' So they hated him even more for the dreams and for his words.' Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow down ourselves before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept, saying, kept the saying in his mind, Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I'll send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. And then he said to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and came to Shechem. And a man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they're. They are pasturing the flock. And the man said to him, They have moved on from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. When they saw him from a distance, before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now then come and let us kill him and throw him to one of the, the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let's see what will become of his dreams." But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they put him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. And then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother and our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments, and he returned to his brothers and said, the boy's not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in blood, and they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this Please examine it to see whether it's your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob, Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, surely I'll go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Father, we pray this morning that you would bless the study of your word. God, I pray that you would calm our hearts this morning. Just for these few moments, God, I pray that we would focus in on you and you would speak to us by means of your word. And God, you would change us, that we would leave here a little later changed because we met with you and we heard your voice in your word. God, prevent me from saying anything that would distract from the truths of this text. Lord, we all need you today. Speak to us. Your servant is listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this chapter, there's, I counted at least 15 different principles that we could look at in this text. There's so many things that we could dwell upon. But there were two parts of this story that I just wanted us to, to focus in on that I think are incredibly significant for us. So, so two things that stuck out to me in this text. Number one, I, I think the first thing that I saw that stuck out to me was the continued sanctification of Jacob. The continued sanctification of Jacob. And as I saw this, as I noticed it, it was kind of a kick in the gut We've watched this guy. We've watched all his struggles and what God has brought him through. And you come here and you immediately realize he's still in need of refinement. He still needs the, the work of God in his life. I mean, right off the bat, you see here's this guy playing favorites with his son. Verse three now, Israel loved uh, Joseph more than all of his sons. And, and it's interesting because isn't this the, the exact same sin that his father committed that put himself in a bad situation. It, it caused a whole lot of pain in Jacob's life because Daddy Esau was, or Isaac was playing favorites and now him and Jacob have a or him and Esau have a strained relationship because of this exact sin. And you think, how in the world a guy who knows all about playing favorites and the the disaster that it causes, how in the world could this guy fall into that situation? And he puts Joseph in a bad place. And certainly uh, some of what Joseph experiences he brings upon himself, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But it didn't help any that daddy's playing favorites in plain sight of his brothers, and they're beginning to resent him. And Jacob gives Joseph this special coat, a a very colored tunic, as my translation says. There's a lot of uh, speculation as to what it really means. But the important thing for us to see is that, that it was a coat that signified that Joseph's my favorite. He's special. And so he's flaunting in front of these other children that he's my favorite. I love him more. And so it's so disappointing to see this taking place in Jacob's life. But what is probably even more disappointing is the way that he's deceived by his, to his boys. He's apparently, obviously, just kind of spiritually blind to a whole lot that's going on in his own household... He's blind to the fact that his brother or his sons, his boys, there's all kinds of conflict and animosity that's occurring between them. But it's interesting when when his sons arrive with Joseph's coat torn to pieces and dipped in blood, if that sounds familiar, it should. Because Jacob deceived his own father by means of what? A coat and a slaughtered goat. And here he is, just like his father Isaac in his old age. He's spiritually blind and he's not spiritually leading his family. And it's amazing, after all that Jacob has been through, he still hasn't learned some of the basic lessons that God is teaching him. We've walked through his life, this man who was a deceiver and God wrestled him to the ground and brought him to a place where he says, I will not let you go until you believe. Bless me, this guy who had experienced the strong hand of God's discipline and learned the blessedness of repentance and renewed commitment to the Lord. This man who's grown so much in his walk with the Lord. But what we learn here is that the sickness of sin still dwells in his heart. And the reason that this was such a kick in the gut for me is that it reminds me that the sickness of sin still runs deep in my own heart. And just like in Jacob's life, I don't know about you, but I often find myself repeating some of the same mistakes. And God has to go to work again. And the reality is it's going to take God a lifetime to remove, fully remove the sickness of sin from my life. Maybe you, like me, have said to the Lord on occasion, Lord, you've changed me. You've brought me through. I'll never be the same. And the stupid thing is I've said that so many times. And I think it is because the reality of the depthness of the sin that runs in our lives, we just don't understand how deep it really runs. You know, I I don't know... um, if you've ever waited with a family member for, on a surgery, uh, early in my ministry I used to do this a lot. I'd go with a family and somebody would have surgery in their family and I'd wait with the family until the surgery was done. And I remember very specifically on one occasion there was a family, the, the, the father was having um, bypass surgery and they'd given them kind of a timetable as often they'll do. And it was taking longer and the family was getting concerned and the doctor comes out and, or actually it wasn't the doctor, it was one of his assistants and comes out and he shares with the family, he gathers them up and he says, listen, I've got to let you know the problem was a bit more intricate, there's, a, there's another bypass we're going to have to do and it's going to take a little longer. The problem is a little deeper than what we originally thought and in so many ways that is us. That the sin often runs deeper than we think, and God has to do a deeper work, and He has to touch us in a different way. And so we see Jacob continue to struggle with sin, and God continue to refine him. But we also see God refining him, not just through the removal of sin, but through the circumstances and through the struggles of his life. I mean, Jacob in this story, he loses his son Joseph. In Jacob's mind, Joseph is dead. Now, this is the hard part about reading these stories. We know the end, don't we? But Jacob doesn't. For all Jacob knows, his son is dead. That's what he thinks. That's what he believes. And and that kind of pain that Jacob experienced, it's it's the pain that only a parent who who has lost a child can fully appreciate. But what is God doing? God is continuing to grow Jacob's trust in him. You know what's interesting? What do Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David all have in common? They all had to give up their son. You see, at some point or another, it appears to me that God will often lay his hands on the things that we hold most dear. And Jacob, you you can see his pain. Surely I'll go down to Sheol in mourning I mean, you can just imagine this. He says, a morning's gonna push me to my grave. I'll never, you know what he's saying? And some of you know this. Some of you are grieving today. And he says, I'll never get over this. I mean, you can just sense the frustration in his voice. God, how can this be part of your plan? But what Jacob is going to learn again is that God's plans never fail. God's promises never fail. And Jacob will see Joseph again. We know that to be true, but he doesn't know that. And it'll be many years down the road. But in this moment, what is God teaching Jacob? He's teaching Jacob again, you've got to trust me. And I think this is important as we see these two things happening, both the refinement of Jacob through sin and the refinement of Jacob through struggles. I think this is important for us as believers in both instances because we need to remember, just like Jacob, we have never arrived. You've never arrived as a Christian. I don't care how many battles you've been through. I don't care how many lessons you've learned. I don't care how many times you've read through the Bible. I don't care how much scripture you've memorized. You've never arrived, and there's always more sin for God to remove, and there's always a greater faith that he's bringing us into by means of struggle. We're no different than Jacob. As disappointed as he might be, We see so much of ourselves in him. And as I was studying this, I couldn't help but think of Paul when he wrote to the Philippians. And you remember what Paul says in chapter 3? He says, brethren, not that I've already obtained all this or already been made perfect. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Isn't it comforting to know that Paul, who bore the, the brands of persecution on his back, was in jail as he wrote those words, says, I've not made it. He's saying, God's still got work to do in my life. And just like Jacob and just like Paul, God still has work left to do in your life. And I think the question that we often need to be asking ourselves is, God, is there a sin today that you're seeking to remove in my life? Do you know what? I've never once prayed that prayer where God didn't come out back with plenty of things for me to work on. And we need to have that attitude. God, what sins today are you seeking to remove? You know what I've found to be the case in my own personal life? The big things, the big items are often the easiest It's those things that as we grow in our walk with the Lord and God begins to shine the light of his holiness into the nooks and the crannies of our life that boy, it gets really tough as God goes to work to extract the sins. And the the, the other question that we ought to be asking is God, in what ways are you strengthening my faith? What situations are you bringing about for the strengthening of my faith? And the, the more we grow as Christians, listen, the more you grow, the more you begin to realize that these aren't just random things that are happening. God's doing something. And, 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 and we get to a place where we begin to rejoice in the trials because we know what the trial brings about. We know what God is producing in us. He's making us perfect and complete, as James says, lacking in Nothing. And so we're able to say, as God brings about the struggle with sin and the pain of circumstances, we're able to say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you are working. And we almost become expectant because we've been there before and we say, God, I I can't wait to see what you're going to do in the midst of this. And so you see God continuing to refine Jacob. But, But the second thing that we see that really sticks out, and it's the greater themes that we're touching on here, but... But God in Joseph's life is growing a conviction that his ways are perfect. God is growing in Joseph a conviction that his ways are always perfect. And so just to kind of recap the story, Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers in Shechem. Shechem was a very dangerous place. Why? Because you remember these boys killed everybody in Shechem. So it's kind of a dangerous place, and he's sending Joseph, hey, go check, make sure they're okay. And the brothers, as Joseph is coming, they see him coming in the distance, and he's wearing that robe that he just loved to wear. And everything about Joseph irritated his brothers. Everything about, every time they saw Joseph, the more, in fact, over and over, and and it made them mad. And it made him mad. Number one, he was loved by his father. His father, again, put him in a bad situation. But he's the favorite. And they get mad about it. And his father gives him this robe. And it's interesting. He loves to wear the robe. He wears it all the time, every day. You wonder if he ever washed it. He's always got the thing on. Just to kind of show, guys, remember, daddy loves me more. And not only is he daddy's favorite, he's gifted. He's gifted. I mean, the, one of the things that you see as you move through the story of Joseph's life, he really is a very gifted individual. God has his hand on it. And it's apparent that these boys, in fact, it says it, that they become very jealous of their brother. But I think the characteristic that probably irritated his brothers most is the fact that he was just downright obnoxious. I mean, he's wearing the coat everywhere and then... Then he's got the dreams, and it's one thing to have dreams. It's another thing to make sure you let everybody know that in those dreams, you bow down to me. How about that? And later, you know, the second dream, the sun, moon, and stars, and it gets to the point that even daddy's got to rebuke him, say to him, cut it out. Then on top of it all, he's a tattletale, and nobody likes a tattletale. Some of you have had siblings who love to tell on you, and so you look at all these things, and I'm not trying to excuse the actions of the brothers, but we can all kind of understand where they were coming from, right? I mean, I had a brother who probably wanted to put me in the well a few times, you know, in the pit. But these brothers, they... And boy, there's a whole lesson here on uncontrolled hatred. But you just see a growing hatred in these boys, a root of bitterness take place. And just like Cain with Abel, sin is crouching at the door. And, and this is a tangential deal, but if you are struggling with anger and hatred in your life, you better get control of it or it'll destroy your life. And it's going to destroy these boys' life too. And God's going to refine them, but it's going to cause a lot of pain because they've got jealousy and anger and hatred and it gets out of control. So they see their brother coming and they have an opportunity to do what they've been wanting to do for a very long time. And they say, let's kill him. And it's interesting because that word kill him, it's the first time that word has occurred since Genesis chapter 4. And you know what I think Moses, the author, is doing? He's reminding us that what is going on here is not just a group of brothers who don't like their younger brother. No, this is the attack of the enemy seeking to thwart God's perfect, sovereign purposes. We've seen this throughout Genesis, haven't we? That the enemy is always seeking to thwart God's plan and to stop the Messiah. And so Satan is at work here. And these brothers say, let's kill him. And then let's see what happens, what comes of his dreams. And they assault Joseph and they, they rip him of his clothes and they throw him down into a pit that's not got any water in it. They do that to let you know he's not going to drown. He's alive. They throw him into this pit. And there Joseph remains, and there's a part of this story that's not included here, but we learn later, and that's that in Genesis 42, these brothers, when they begin to have some conviction about what they've done, it says that we're we're experiencing all this because our brother Joseph cried out for mercy from the pit, and we didn't answer him. Joseph, imagine this, this this. This 17 year old boy in a pit crying out to his older brothers for mercy. And you know what they're doing? Having lunch. Pass some ketchup. And Joseph, you know, here's a boy who probably had never cried out for mercy ever in his life. He's the, he's the spoiled son. He had everything he wanted. This guy probably never asked for anything because the dad gave him everything. He, here's the boy that had the dreams that everything's gonna work out great and everybody's gonna bow down to you. And all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he finds himself in a very dark place at the bottom of a pit and he's crying out to God. I don't think he's crying out just to his brothers. I think he's crying out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Saying, God, don't you see me down here? I've had these dreams. God, get me out of here. And guess what God's answer is going to be to Joseph? No. And it's a reminder that sometimes... God says no to what we're asking so that he can say yes to what we're needing. And oftentimes, the, in fact, all the time, the blessing of his no far out exceeds the, the comfort of his yeses. In fact, you want a good example of that Jesus in the garden. Is there any other way to do this, God? And what is the answer from heaven? No, because the blessing of God's no exceeded the comfort of God's yes. And so here is God putting Joseph in a pit. And as you think about this, what if God hadn't laid his hand on Joseph's life? What if God hadn't put him in the pit? What if God had just let Joseph strut around in his spoiled state, being the favored son and not having really any tragedy in his life? If God had left him to his own divisive in in that place of blessedness, he never would have become the great man of God that he eventually becomes. And what God is teaching Joseph And what Joseph is learning, and what Joseph will eventually demonstrate, although he probably doesn't get it here as a 17-year-old boy, is a conviction that God's ways are perfect even when they're painful. That every aspect of Joseph's life is ordained and directed by God. Every detail of this story is directed by God. I mean, the one part of the story that I, I had read through many a times and it never stuck out to me was the guy he, he runs into in the field, an unnamed guy, random guy. I mean, and if you've done much walking through fields, you, you very rarely run into random people in fields, But here is Joseph out looking for his brother, and he just so happens to run into a random guy who just so happens to have overheard where the brothers are, and and that guy directs him down to Dothan where he finds his brothers. But think about this with me. What if that random guy of no name is not in the field? And what if Joseph can't find his brothers and just goes back to daddy? Daddy. If he goes back to daddy, he never ends up in a pit. And if he never ends up in the pit, he never goes to Egypt. And if he never goes to Egypt, there's never the salvation of God's people. And if there's not the salvation of God's people, there is no Messiah. And if there's no Messiah, then there's no proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. When you think about it that way, all of God's plan hinges upon a random guy with no name, wandering around in a field. But folks... If that doesn't let you know today that God is sovereign over every detail of your life, the appointments that you have to the grades of your children, God is sovereign over every aspect and he's directing all of it according to his perfect plan. Even the evil, even the injustice, Even the anguish that he experiences in the pit is all part of God's plan, that God is working it out according to his purposes and his will. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is it's, quite honestly, you study Joseph, it's pretty easy to think about it in Joseph's life. But I think the question for us is, are you able today to view all of your life in that way. To see not just, not, not just the fun and the pleasant things, but even the difficult things, even the injustices, even the burdens, even the anguishes. To believe with all your heart that Romans 8.28 really is true, that God really does work all things together. Not all things are good But God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That will be the testimony of Joseph. He doesn't fully get it here, but later on, guess what he'll say? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And this conviction must, as believers, it must anchor our souls. It's a conviction, listen, for us as believers that sweetens our life, it sweetens personalities like nothing else can. But we've all met those individuals who have been soured and bittered by the trials of life because they they never anchored their souls and rested their souls in this truth that Everything works together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And listen, I'm not saying that you're going to understand it all here on earth before you lay your head on the pillow and take your breath for the last time. You might not. And, uh, you know, people say all the time, well, when I get to heaven, I got some stuff I want to just some questions. I'm going to unload on God. Well, I doubt you're going to do that. I'm pretty sure you're going to fall on your face. But you know, as I was studying this, I sure do hope that at some point, maybe, just maybe, there comes a point when the angels just go around and try to help us understand everything. And do you have any questions? I know I got a couple. And I hope maybe But here's what I do know. Even when things may not all come together perfectly before you die, guess what? They all come together perfectly in eternity. And so God is teaching Joseph. You know, there's a saying that I hesitate to use. I don't like to use this statement because it can be so misleading but you've probably all heard it at some point or another, that God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And and I, I don't like to use it because it's misleading, but listen to me. Theologically, it's true. God loved Joseph and God had a wonderful plan for Joseph's life, but it wasn't Joseph's plan. And it wasn't his dad's plan, and it sure wasn't his brother's plan. But it was God's plan. And it was a perfect plan. And sometimes his plan is painful, and sometimes his plan hurts. But even the pain is purposeful in God perfectly working out his purpose even when we don't understand it. I, I, um, as I was studying this, I was thinking about when, when Walker was uh, somewhere, he was really young, around three, and um, he had to have surgery. And I know many of you as parents have taken your children to some very serious surgeries. So I don't, I don't, I'm not, some of you experienced some things, I can't imagine. This was more of a routine deal. Walker had a hernia um that needed to be repaired and so um we took him to uh the children's hospital in Birmingham and and we go early that morning and and he's playing around you know in those areas they have all kinds of toys and he's riding on these carts and we're pushing him down the hall he's having fun he's thinking this is a day at the park you know this is good times and um but there comes that moment, you know, where you walk him down the hallway. And I still remember it. There's this yellow line that you can't cross as parents. They won't let you go past. And um, I still remember Faith because she's holding Walker. And this nurse is there. Okay, you got to hand him off. And I remember Faith just stretching him out there. And I, the look in Walker's eyes was like, are you kidding me? We were having fun. And and Walker didn't know anything was wrong. He didn't hurt. But there was something inside of him that the doctor said, we got to fix. And isn't there some times in our life where God begins to stretch us out into a trial and we're saying, God, what? What are you doing? I thought you loved me. And God says there's some things we got to fix. And there's a bigger plan here that you can't see and you're just going to have to trust me. I don't know why surgery is on my mind, but uh, my mom recently had surgery. And one of the questions that they asked, that they met with the surgeon, and you've probably asked the question too, is how many times have you done this procedure? (laughs) You know, and I often wonder what, what happens when the guy says, well, this is actually my first. are do it together, figure it out. Um, you know, guess who just got reinstated, you know, but we're going to be all right, you know. But, you know, fortunately, this guy, they want to know. He'd done it thousands of times, and, and uh, they want to know, well, how successful are you at this? Well, he's really successful at it. Can I tell you, we got a great physician in God. And you know the surgeries that he performs, he's been doing them since the beginning of time. And his success rate is perfect. But it doesn't mean that the incisions hurt any less. And it doesn't mean that the questions don't come But the deep conviction that we hold to is that God really does love us. And he really does have a wonderful plan. And you need to know today that if God purposed to bring about our salvation through the suffering of his own son, then surely we can know today that he really is a good father. And his plan is wonderful even when we can't see it. Let's pray together. God, we we thank you that in your word you remind us over and over and over again of these simple truths that are Sometimes so difficult for us to learn as we experience just the, the everyday struggles and trials of life to be reminded that all things really do work together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purposes. And God, I just pray for any individual, any family member today that is just struggling with Whatever circumstance in life has come, whatever storm has come, God, I pray. One of the constants that we see in Joseph's life is that the circumstances change. Sometimes the circumstances are really good, and sometimes they're really painful. But the one thing that doesn't change is the presence of God in his life. And God, if there's anybody here today that's struggling, I pray that you would remind them that you're with them. And you will not leave them. And I pray that they would look to your cross. Where Christ died for their sins. And they'd be reminded that you're a good father. God I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you. And God they're wondering. (laughs) Why in the world would you love a God. Who puts you in the fire of suffering and trials. And maybe they don't understand because they don't know the hope of Christ. They don't really know what he did for them on the cross and dying for their sins. And God, I pray that if they don't know you, you would draw them to yourself. You'd overwhelm them with your love demonstrated in Christ who died for their sins. And they would run to you and know your salvation and your forgiveness today. Father, we love you and we praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.